If, for those of you who've been uh, kind of traveling with us during this season of Lent, you know that we've been in a series called A Meal with Jesus. And we've been traveling with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, today we're going to bring that journey to a conclusion. Now along the way, we have observed, haven't we, especially if you've been reading the entire Gospel of Luke, uh, that Jesus does indeed spend a lot of time eating and drinking with people um, throughout the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke. And and that for Jesus, breaking bread and and having a drink around the table was always an opportunity to bring the kingdom and to bring life change. And when you think about that in the big picture, that makes sense. We can understand the role that meals played in Jesus' ministry and in his life and in his teaching because one of the ways that the scriptures use to describe the, the, the completion and the culmination of the kingdom of God is a meal. I mean, we've looked at this repeatedly throughout this series. I'm going to look at it one more time in the, gospel, or in the, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 25, chapter 6. It's, it's looking ahead to kind of the, the culmination of all things, and they describe it as a, as a banquet, as a meal. God says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. I mean, Jesus, in Luke 14, he talks about the parable of the great banquet. Um, last week, we looked at the Last Supper, and right after that, you have Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, like, I'm, I'm giving you a kingdom. I'm conferring on you a kingdom, and you will eat at my kingdom table. You will eat and drink at my kingdom table. Revelation 19 talks about the the wedding feast of the lamb. The meal is a rich metaphor used to describe the the, the culmination, um, the completion of the bringing of the kingdom of God. Tim Chester, who wrote a book that we based a series on, A Meal with Jesus, at the very end of the book, he, he says this. He says that God created the world so that we might eat with him. And I just, I, I love the simplicity of that. God created the world so that we might eat with him, meaning that God desires communion and fellowship and community with his creation. That, that's God's desire, is for us to have oneness with him. And in, in, in the, the, the table is a place where we, we experience grace and community and oneness and mission. Last week we looked at the meal Jesus' last supper with his disciples. In, in, in the richness of, of the, the picture that Jesus gave us, the gift that he gave us um, the, the, to remember like his, his salvation act, the, the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. Something we should look forward to often with, with joy and anticipation as we participate and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And today we're going to look at one more meal with Jesus, Meals as Enacted Promise. So we pray with me? Lord, as we dive into this story, this familiar story, I pray that, uh, that you kind of activate fresh things for us, that, that we see things and hear things and ponder things in fresh ways this morning, ways that are for us right now, right here in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24. And remember, uh, where we're at at this point in this particular story, uh, right where we left the story on Friday, um, Jesus has been crucified, and he's been laid in a tomb, okay? And that, that's all the disciples know at this point. 
And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read all the way through verse 35. And uh, this is Jesus' encounter with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. Hear this word of God. Now that same day, two, this is the resurrection day it's talking about. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? I think Jesus has a sense of humor. What, what things? What are you talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, because before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And catch this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. Now picture this. Just kind of put yourself in this story. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized to them when he broke the bread. Now, we just have to remind ourselves about this all the time. Remember, we look back on these stories. We we know these stories. We know the ending. We we look back on these stories. But these characters, these disciples, they were living it in real time. And the truth was, no one was expecting Jesus to rise. No one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. No one. The women who went to the tomb that morning with spices and perfumes, they were going expecting to anoint a dead man body. They had zero expectations that Jesus had risen from the dead. And upon discovering the open tomb and the missing body, they, they, they don't immediately shout, he is risen. They're, they're perplexed. 
They don't know what to think. The men think they're delirious. We had hoped. That's what these two disciples express. We had hoped. We had hoped that, we, that he was the one. We thought Jesus was the one. We thought he was the one that was going to restore Israel's kingdom and, and kick Rome out and defeat the Romans. I mean, obviously, right, they're, they're thinking that this was going to be an earthly kingdom. But now, you know, Jesus is dead. He was crucified and he was laid, his body was laid in a tomb. We had hoped, but now it's over. Isn't it? So these two disciples of Jesus, they, they're making their way back home. We know that some of the original 12, from reading some of the other Gospels, went back to fishing. I mean, everybody's kind of going back to their life the way it was. At, at this point, consider this. Being a disciple of Jesus would mean that everything that you had given up and everything that you had given your life for is over. Cleopas and his companion on this road to Emmaus, they, they'd obviously been to Jerusalem for the Passover. I mean, there, there's, there's probably a really good chance that they had seen and heard Jesus teaching during that week. There, there's, there's even a slight possibility, I think, that, man, these guys could have been at Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. Remember we talked about this last week? The upper room was really big. Like, it, it could hold over 100 people. And all we're told for sure is that Jesus and the 12 were there, but that doesn't mean others might have been there also. It's possible that, that Cleopas and his a companion were at that Last Supper. And now, and now they're walking home. They're walking home on the road to Emmaus and they're trying to sort out all the disappointment and confusion and um, just what had happened in Jerusalem during the week. Jesus is dead. He's dead. And our hopes had died with him. And then this stranger joins them on their walk. And I think there's something in there for us and maybe something in there that, that maybe we need to be reminded of this morning. Never assume that Jesus isn't walking with you just because you can't see him or feel him in the moment. Never assume that. That's not true. The text says that they were kept from recognizing Jesus. I don't know, maybe he shaved his beard, you know, and he wasn't recognized. I, I don't know. I mean, it's supernatural, right? Like, like they were kept from recognizing Jesus, but, you know, added to the fact is they didn't expect to see Jesus again. I mean, dead men don't walk down roads and speak. Jesus, and I love this about Jesus, Jesus doesn't lead with a, a, a proclamation of resurrection. He doesn't lead with, hey guys, it's me, it's me. He, he doesn't do that. He leads with a question. What are you guys talking about? What are you talking about as you, as you walk home? And they, they are so utterly shocked at that question that the scripture says they stopped. Like they, they just stopped and looked at Jesus. And Cleopas can't imagine that anyone from Jerusalem could possibly not know what had just taken place in the city over the last few days. The, 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 the darkening of the heavens. I mean, that's hard, it's hard to miss. The, the kind of earth went dark for a while. The crucifixion of Jesus, the shaking, the earthquake, the, the, the temple curtain being torn in two. How could you not know about any of that stuff? Yet here's the... Here's the risen Jesus walking with Cleopas and his companion down the road. And I, I just wonder, how many times do you or do I 
miss Jesus. We go about our business just unaware, clueless, oblivious to the fact that Jesus is present with us in the moment and wants to reveal things to us, maybe even life-changing things to us. And I think it's worth noting what Jesus does next. I just find it fascinating. I think it's especially fascinating what Jesus doesn't do. In no part of the story does he do anything miraculous. Instead, he takes them to the scriptures. He, he takes them to the prophets and the law. Why does he do that? Because here's the, the, the universal truth. Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. Jesus could have done anything to encourage these guys. He could have done anything. I mean, he's the risen son of God. He has shed all of his human limitations But rather than leverage that resurrection power, he chooses, I I just find this fascinating, he chooses instead to open up the scriptures, to open up the scriptures to them. On the very day of his resurrection, the most important thing Jesus sees to do to try to encourage those who are confused and struggling is to remind them of the big story, is to remind them of the grand narrative of the scriptures and their place in the story. It was probably the the greatest Bible lesson ever given, and we have no record of it. Don't you wish, like, what did he say? I wonder what he said. I wonder where he took them. I wonder what he showed them. He did something. You know, he, he, he opened up the scriptures to them, and he taught them about the Messiah. And it's, it was important to Jesus, and, and so it should be important to us. to understand, We need to understand the great sweep of the story and to see our lives in the context of the story. If we want to have a ministry here at Victory Point that that is a resurrection ministry, we need to follow Jesus' example. We we, we need to go to the revelation of of Christ in the scriptures. Throughout the written word, we find testimony of the living word. No amount of, of human wisdom or philosophy or contemplation apart from the scriptures, will ever tell you the meaning of Jesus' resurrection. No one in the Easter story has a clue as to what's going on. And, and just read, like I, I read from Luke 24. Like sometimes just, just read that whole chapter. Every time the risen Jesus encounters someone, he brings them back to scripture to, to, to place it in the big story. He, he places the resurrection in the context of the big story of what God is up to in rescuing and redeeming the world. And then you have this, this meal with Jesus that, that, that we've been centering around throughout this series, all these different meals that Jesus has. We, we get to one more meal with Jesus. Although there's another one after that, you know, on the, on the shore when he has the broiled fish and things that you can read about that at the end of John. But um, th- th- we get to this, this meal with Jesus and these two disciples. They arrive in Emmaus and, and it's getting dark as, as they kind of, you know, get in the vicinity of Emmaus. We don't know if this is where these guys lived or if it was just their stop for the night. But they, they arrive at Emmaus. It's getting dark. And Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. I love that about Jesus. He acts like he's just going to keep going down the road. Does that remind you of another story in the scriptures? Remember that time when Jesus was walking on the water and the disciples were struggling in the boat? The scriptures tell us that Jesus was about to pass by. He was just going to keep going. I kind of get that feeling like he's doing something similar here. It's as if Jesus is testing the disciples to see like, okay, are they going to invite me in? 
Are they going to invite me in? Are they going to invite me into the boat? Are they going to invite me into the house? Are they going to invite me into their lives? And they do. They do. They, they insist, like, no, man, you got to stay with us. You got to stay with us. Because they don't get it, but there's something strangely familiar about this stranger that's been walking with them. He's got this authority, and he has this grasp of Scripture. And, and so then they, they gather for a meal around the table. And Jesus, I love this, he takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And he gives the bread. And in that fourfold action, they recognize him. Because that's familiar. You know, think back to the feeding of the 5,000. What does Jesus do? He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And he gives the bread. Think back to last week when we were at the Last Supper, reclining around the table with Jesus and his disciples. What does he do? He takes the bread. He blesses the bread. He breaks the bread. And he gives the bread. And as he begins to do that with these guys around this table, their eyes are opened. And they, they see the risen Jesus in their midst. I mean, his face was maybe hidden from them on the road, but you can't hide the fact of his sacrifice. Their eyes were opened around the table because the scriptures were opened to him on the road. The scriptures open up Jesus in, in all of who he is. They'd had an encounter with the risen Christ. And it propels them to do something like unconventional. It propels them to get up from the table. And even though it's dark, to, to run the seven miles. I don't know if they ran the whole time. I couldn't do that. But they, they, they proceeded back to Jerusalem in the dark at nighttime. And we need to understand in the ancient world, no one does that. It's dangerous to be out on the roads at night. That's just asking for trouble. But they don't care. They don't care. Because they understood this. An encounter with the risen Christ requires a response. It propels a response. It inspires a response. Playing it safe, once you've encountered the risen Christ, playing it safe is off the table. It's no longer an option. Because when you have... An experience like this with the risen Christ, it has to be shared. That's a story that must be told. That's good news that must be proclaimed. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. From that moment on, I imagine Cleopas and his companion, they're all in. They're all in from that point forward. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, they thought that the cross demonstrated that Jesus must not be the Messiah because the Messiah died. So how can he save Israel and restore the kingdom of Israel? But the scriptures, which I'm assuming and, and believe Jesus opened up to them on the road to Emmaus, the scriptures actually reveal the exact opposite. The cross proves that Jesus is the Messiah. It proves it. You know, um, I, I think of the scriptures we have available to us today, you know, with the New Testament. They just had the Old Testament. I think of things like this. Romans 6.23 says, Paul, Paul's like given words to what happened. He, the, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God, catch this, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us. He demonstrates it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Christ died for us. Jesus, the perfect, holy Son of God, took our sins upon him. I'm sure this is the kind of things that, that he was explaining to the disciples on the road. He, he, he took our sins upon him. He was made sin in our place. He died our death. He stood and hung in our place. He was forsaken by the Father. He was rejected by the world. The message of the scriptures that Jesus surely opened up to them on that road. The message of the scriptures is that Christ had to suffer in order to redeem us. But Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He also rose from the dead, right? He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And he gives us life, not just eternally when we die, but right here, right now. John 10.10 says, Jesus says, I've come so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Right here, right now. Have it abundantly, right here, right now. Not just when you die, but right here, right now. The resurrection of the crucified Christ is the promise of the beginning and the renewal of everything. Everything's changed. N.T. Wright, he, he, uh, he, he says this. And I'm going to give you a quote in just a second. He says, the resurrection, it's the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus and that you're now invited to belong to it. And then this quote from his book, Surprised by Hope. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but listen to this, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. I love that language. The resurrection is not just simply giving us heaven when we die. The resurrection is bringing heaven to earth. It's the unleashing in its fullness, heaven on earth, right here right now. You know, our our vision at Victory Point is to bring, to participate in, to proclaim, to demonstrate the kingdom of God to our families, to our community, and to our world. And I just want to say, as the the senior leader of this particular church family planted in this place and time, uh, in this community, I love being a part of that vision with you guys. I I love the way this church centers around trying to colonize earth with the life of heaven. It brings me such joy. I mean, just, you know, sitting here, like last Sunday, for instance. I'm thinking about last Sunday, and we gathered, like in the middle of a snowstorm in the middle of April. We gathered like 160 plus people in that room to have a meal together. And to, to, to give generously in support of Jillian Doctor and her upcoming mission trip to Africa. And she's fully funded now. I, I love being a part of a family of God that does things like that. And then we came in here and, and like just worshipped our hearts out. And, and I was watching like teenagers and children dancing and jumping up and down and 70 plus year old people jumping up and down and just worshiping and and, and crying out because because we're a part of colonizing earth with the way of heaven when i think about our, our missional communities we have six of them now just just groups of people you know 20 to 40 people from all ages and all lifestyles gathering around meals throughout this community you know, week in and week out and, and seeking to be on mission, 
to marginalized teenagers and in, to um, people who are, are living out their, their, their last years in a, in a retirement home or uh, elementary kids at a school or whatever these missional communities gather around. It's, it's all part of, it's all because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we now get to participate in bringing heaven to earth. And that's some of, just some of the ways we do it. Some of the ways we partner with our, our mission partners, you know, strategically distributed and connected around this community and around the world. Like tomorrow, I'm getting on an airplane and flying to Iraq to, to spend some time and a few days with Billy. Remember Billy? He was up here in January sharing about his work in northern Iraq with refugees and, and displaced people, you know, due to ISIS and other things like trying to create homes for them and schools for them and hospitals for them. And I, I get to go, like, see what Billy's doing to colonize earth with the life of heaven and get to, to get to participate in that, even just for a moment. Um, man, like, you never know what God's up to. Like, this grand thing that we get to participate in. As you think about it, you know, the resurrection doesn't just save you for heaven. Um, the resurrection like invites you and propels you and compels you into a mission. We now have a mission to, to, to help bring heaven to earth. And we do that in all kinds of ways every single day. I mean, consider the people around you at work, in your schools, in your neighborhoods. Who, who, who hasn't experienced resurrection life yet? Who, who needs to hear that... The, um, that heaven can be right here, right now. We can, we can practice heaven. Even in the midst of a broken world, we can practice heaven. God gives us the power through the resurrection to practice heaven right here, right now. You never know the, 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 the trajectories you might change when you step into that, when you engage in those conversations. Like, for instance, right after we conclude here in a few minutes, I'm taking off. Like, I just ask for your forgiveness in advance. I'm not going to stick around and say hi to anybody. Like, I mean, I will a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go baptize a kid. I'm going to go baptize a young man at Moran Park. Um, And he's a kid that I met like five years ago out in the parking lot here. I just, I couldn't walk by his car because he looked sad. So I engaged him in conversation. One thing led to another. Now today he's being baptized at the church that he goes to, but he wanted me to baptize him. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. I would love to participate in, in, in that expression of heaven on earth. And, and so I get to go baptize Logan and, and participate, you know, just in a very humble, small, teeny way, um, the, the, the truth of the resurrection life that he now has and that he now lives out each and every day. The resurrection changes everything. We're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from sin and death. We are, but we're also saved for something. We're saved for mission. We're saved to be a part of colonizing earth with heaven. So I'm going to invite the band forward. And we're just going to kind of end in a time of of response and reflection this morning. I'm going to go back to uh, this. An encounter with the risen Christ requires response. Have you responded? Have you had an encounter with the risen Christ? And have you responded? And, and I'm, just, I'm just wondering this morning, it may be that there's someone here who's never responded to the risen Christ. 
who maybe up to this point hasn't even recognized that he's, he's been walking with you. It, through your confusion, through, through, through the disappointments, through the battle, through the struggles. I want to pray right now that, that God would reveal himself to you just like he revealed himself to Cleopas and his companion in that moment. I want to invite you to respond to that. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and to just pray with me. Lord, I'm just praying on behalf right now of anybody in this room who maybe the Spirit, they don't even understand it maybe, but something's moving or stirring inside of them. And maybe for the very first time, their eyes are starting to open to the reality that, that God has been there the whole time. Through everything that's been hard, he, he, he's been present. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would reveal yourself in a very clear way this morning. And I pray, Lord, that uh, as you do that, that, that we would respond accordingly. I pray if there's anybody here this morning who's never never given their lives to Jesus, you could do that right here, right now. Wouldn't Easter Sunday be a memorable day to do something like that? It's very simple. It's just in your spirit, in your heart, praying, Jesus, I give you my life. And I take yours instead. I give you my life because it's not working on my own. And I receive your life. Because I believe when, I don't know how it's going to work, but with, with you in me, I have a way better odds and chance of living in victory and living in freedom and living without fear and experiencing breakthrough. And, if, and, and, and for the rest of us, maybe you've done that before. But maybe you've not realized that, that making a commitment like that doesn't just give you a ticket to heaven. It propels you into a kingdom mission right here, right now. To help others know that, that heaven is invading earth through our words, through our life, through our actions. We get to be pictures of resurrection power each and every day. May we, may we respond to that, Lord. May we step into that. May we, like those disciples, just like, take off for Jerusalem because, holy cow, this is, this, is a, this is on now. This is real. Because if the resurrection's true, then everything's true. Then everything that the Bible says is true of me is, is really true of me. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can live fearlessly and I can live victoriously and courageously. Joining God in Jesus' work begun on the cross and through the resurrection of bringing heaven to earth until he returns. So Lord, we we respond to you with our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand and I just wanna offer just a, a quick word. If there's anyone here this morning and maybe for the very first time you invited Jesus into your life. You, you, you exchanged your life for his. Would you tell somebody 
You could fill out a connect card and share it with us if you want, but find someone in your life who loves Jesus and tell them and let them walk with you, okay? But let's, let's end our Easter morning together by singing one more song.